So I have a friend who is in pretty serious shape. Uh, not long ago, I was in a hospital room with him. Two of his vital organs were failing, severely compromised. He has liver disease, and his kidneys were in jeopardy from a pretty severe infection that he had. And it was evident that that condition was actually life-threatening to him. I was concerned for him and followed up with him over the next few days. And as we were talking together, my purpose was to speak into him biblical truth and to encourage his faith, to pray with him. By the third day, I recognized that his conditioning was worsening, his body was weakening, and he was asking some pretty difficult questions like, uh, Pastor, am I going to die I was not being a smart aleck when I replied to him yes and so am I it is what all of us do we live we die and we go before the father in heaven as the days went on his life was more and more weakened to the point that he had difficulty rousing himself to even communicate with me wanted to was desperate for it but just couldn't do it and he sensed he was dying and he was over the next few days we had candid conversations about life and death and faith and heaven since then he has rebounded and we continue to have those same conversations he has a terminal condition, and so do we. And so we ought to speak encouragement into each other and build up our faith and confidence in who we are in Christ and what He has promised us and remind ourselves of the promises that Christ has never walked away from. To remind ourselves that He is the preserver of King David wrote the 16th Psalm. I don't know what was in his life that was trial, a trial and trouble to him. Maybe it was sickness. Maybe it was an external enemy. Maybe it was an internal enemy. I don't know. But he writes this very simple prayer that is, Preserve me, O God. It's the basis of our prayer life, asking God to preserve us. When we're sick, when we're injured, when we're diseased, when we're in trouble, we pray things like that. Preserve me, O God. Maybe the wording is a little bit different, but that's the gist of our prayers at times. I have some property along with Kay, and we work on that property to try to build it into a farm. It still has a long way to go. And as I'm working it, there are those times that I just have to utter out a prayer. Oh, God, please. It's typically when I'm working with some equipment that's way bigger than I, stronger than me, and recognize that uh, things could turn very quickly. I was on the shoulder of a little roadway that we're building. The shoulders were soft, and the machine sort of slipped a little bit. It makes you feel like you're about to tumble. And my prayer was like David's, Jesus, please! You know, that was my, that was all I could get out. And then it righted and everything's fine. When I work a chainsaw, 
the chainsaw wins in a battle every time right and so I have those moments where I step back and I look at that tree that I'm about to fall in a certain direction I hope and I utter out a prayer different words but the prayer meaning is the same preserve me O God I don't know where this thing's going to go we all have those prayers at times maybe it's when you're walking away from a doctor's appointment preserve me O God Maybe it's walking away from a conversation with your boss. Preserve me, O oh God. When you're paying out bills and it seems that the bills mount higher than the income. Preserve me, O oh God. We all have those moments where we're praying those things. And, and rightfully so, six, the 16th Psalm is that prayer. And a lot of things that come following that prayer. I can tell you that God hears our prayers and he responds in his goodness to our prayers in those moments now it might not be in the exact way that we were thinking it should come about it might even be that we challenge the goodness of God in the way that he returns that prayer or the way he responds to that prayer or it might be that we just sense that he's not responding at all I can tell you with all certainty in the goodness of God he is responding and he will respond in a way that brings him glory and whenever he is glorified we have a life that is lived in goodness without any question so we pray preserve me O god but we recognize in that prayer whether it's my friend in the hospital who has a terminal condition or whether it's you and me who live life with a terminal condition when we're praying that prayer preserve us O god we are not praying that we would live perpetually on earth we do realize that this life is coming to an end that God has given us a limitation humans can only live so long by the determined fact of God it's going to be this not that I'm expecting any of us to make it but he cuts the date off at 120 years by the way so there are limits to life here on earth so he's not just talking about preserve me O God on earth he's praying about a preservation that comes even beyond this life on earth it has an eternal significance to it those simple words preserve me O God they have a definite meaning for today and they have a an everlasting meaning into eternity so let's read it together uh, I have written it for you in the handout and I think that's a great way to read when you're studying back the scripture but when you're reading God's word more times you can open up the treasure of God's word put it in your hand I say do that so I'm going to read it out of my Bible not out of the handout and you can do the same out of yours this is a victim of of David you say well pastor what is that I'm going to tell you I don't have the foggiest and most commentators don't either they make a stab at it well it might be this and it might be that but they really don't know what this means uh, that little subtitle there but the essence is found not in the subtitle but in the text itself so let's read that preserve me O God for in you I take refuge I say to the Lord you are my Lord I have no good apart from you as for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Then he gives the negative of that. The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, nor take their name on my lips. In other words, 
I want so much to be removed from them that I will not even utter their names. Not even going to mention those false gods. He wants to be so far and removed from them. Not even going to give them the honor of the name being spoken from his own lips. That's a pretty good way for us to think about foreign gods. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Hey, by the way, if you're one to mark in your Bible, and I am, you might just underline that, I shall not be shaken. And if you're one who doesn't mind going even beyond underlining in the Bible and you don't mind circling and drawing errors like I do, then you might take those words, preserve me, and circle them, and then take the words, I will not be shaken, and circle them, and then draw a connecting line. Because that's where this psalm is moving. It begins with a plea, an appeal to God, preserve me, and it ends with a conclusion I will not be shaken. So I'm interested in that. How do you start off with this very basic prayer of God? If you don't preserve me, it won't happen. To the point, just a few verses later, I will not be shaken. Anybody have struggles in your life where you're praying out prayers like preserve me? Well, if you do and you want to come to the conclusion of I will not be shaken, this psalm is for us. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul till Sheol, that is the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, Father, I pray in this moment that your Spirit, who is the great teacher of truth, would teach us, and with your grace, you will enable us to incline our ear to his instructions that we might have understanding. Not just for more knowledge, Lord, but because we are in crises in this faith family. There are a number of people that are praying urgent prayers preserve me oh God and so Lord we want to settle into the truth that this passage brings to us and we want to settle with confidence that we will not be shaken and we want to have the gladness and joy that David writes about at the end of this text so please direct us I pray if left to us alone Lord we are not capable of coming to eternal truths I have a finite ability. So, Lord, I humble myself before you, as we all do in this room, to say you are the infinite God with all knowledge and truth. Give us what we need, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. This psalm is intriguing for several reasons, and I've been looking forward to the opportunity to study it more deeply and communicate its truths more fully i think it intrigues me first and foremost because it is a prophetic psalm 
both Peter and Paul on two separate occasions in the book of Acts are recorded as quoting this passage in relationship to Jesus Christ. So that intrigues me that you have a text in the Old Testament that is quoted in the New Testament that is fulfilled, obviously, in Christ Jesus. I'm intrigued by that. I'm also intrigued by the mechanics, if you will, the way that David has chosen to write this psalm. Specifically, that he begins it with an appeal, and then he ends with a joyful conclusion that has been an answer to the response of God. And somewhere in the middle is this just great affirmation of the realities that he knows God to be. In fact, in the handout that I gave you today, I copied the text in sections and labeled them A, B, C, because I want you to see the distinctions of how he framed the psalm itself. And we'll talk more about that as we go through it. And then thirdly, I'm just intrigued by it because it deals with life's challenges, the circumstances of life that are, are pretty difficult, that often bring anxiety into us. And uh the psalmist doesn't let the anxiety build he actually releases the anxiety and has joy and provision that is given to him so i'm intrigued by that let's talk about it some first preserve me it's the most basic appeal that we have to god i have uttered it many times you probably have as well it can come in various ways but we go to christ for his uh, perseverance we go to him for his steadfastness that he provides to us i don't know what trouble david found himself in but it was certainly there let them swap this out for a moment how about if i just pick up one of these mics would that work i'll take the red one you see that we have a red mic and a yellow mic mama told me red touching yellow kill a fella your mama tell you that? Your daddy tell you that? I'm going to swap over to this mic. I'll feel like one of my Assembly of God friends by holding it in my hand. So he says, preserve me, O God. And, and he doesn't tell us what the need is for the preserving. I think that's good. We don't know if David's sick. We don't know if he has some enemy that's coming against his kingdom. We don't know if it's the internal struggle that he has with family, which he's had that many, many times. We don't know if it's one of his guys that has turned against him. Who knows? I think it's good that we don't know because we might say, well, if that's what he's talking about and God preserved him in that, I don't deal with that. So I'm not sure this psalm is for me. But instead, he leaves it open. I think the purpose of the Holy Spirit doing that through David is because every one of us has uniqueness in life and circumstances in life that require those moments where we breathe out a prayer. Preserve me, O God. Preserve my marriage, O God. Preserve my business, O God. Preserve my life, O God. Preserve my whatever. So this message will apply to you. If you have had those moments in your life and you've prayed that kind of prayer, then this is for you. If you haven't had those moments, it's coming. 
because we all have to come to the one who is the sustainer of life and ask him to preserve us. Lord, I'm losing it. I'm losing my sanity. I'm losing my emotion. I'm losing my business. I'm losing whatever. Preserve me, oh God, I pray. So there's an appeal. Part A is that appeal. Part C is the conclusion. And the conclusion is simply, I will not be shaken. And when he comes to that conclusion, I will not be shaken, he has gladness of heart and the joy of God is his. It belongs to him. But in the middle, in the middle is what brings him to that shift. In the middle he has statements of realities of God, the way he knows God to be personally. He knows him to be these ways. He's coming to more fully understanding that. So knowing God is the priority of life not overcoming the obstacles not overcoming the objections not getting out of the circumstances not being released from the anxiety knowing God is the biggest apex of our life it's what we move towards at all times and I would say that as we have conditions and circumstances in our life that call us to beckon to God in an appeal preserve me oh God when we know him in the midst of that situation and we communicate and uh, speak about the blessings of knowing God then we come to a more full understanding of I will not be shaken So A, B, C is there. You can see that in the handout. I've given you that in a little table. I've tried to give you some words that maybe will deposit in your memory, hopefully not just short-term, but long-term memory. A, B, C, an appeal, an appeal to God. The B is the acknowledgement of blessings. And C is the conclusion, the joyful conclusion that we can come to. So when you're struggling, A, make the appeal. Acknowledge the blessings and come to the joyful conclusion. Let me show you how this works out in this particular psalm. You can see it in the basic blessings that David has come to understand and he begins to write about. First, he says, you are the sovereign God over my life. This is a blessing to him. So the circumstance isn't belittled in any way. It's there. The appeal is made. But here's the first thing that David comes to terms with. The Lord is my Lord. Now, we might lose a little bit of the impact of that. So let me give it in the way David expressed it. He said, the God Yahweh. If you notice in your Bible, mine is all in caps. I put it there for at the bottom of the screen. The all caps in the ESV translation, as in most translations, is signifying the word Yahweh. And it is the name that God has communicated about himself. Who are you? I am who I am. I am the Almighty. I always have been and always will be. And in that, his name is Yahweh. So David first makes this blessed statement, this acknowledgement. I say to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Now, both of those get translated Lord, but the significance of those words are different. Adonai is master, sovereign, ruler. 
Now catch what he's saying here. Here's a blessing. I say to the almighty God, Yahweh, you are my master. You are my ruler. You are my sovereign. Now why is that a blessing? Because he is coming out of this grand circumstance that is overwhelming him to the point that he has to cry out, preserve me, God. And he recognizes in that appeal that there is one greater than what he is experiencing. So you might have a diagnosis of cancer or liver failure or kidney disease or whatever is going on in you physically or it might be you have a boss that is against you or you might have people that have turned away from you. Here's what he's saying. The circumstance is substantial but it is not greater than the almighty God who rules over my life. Could we be reminded for a moment that there is a master over cancer and his name is Adonai, Jesus, the master Jesus? Can we be reminded that death bends the knee to the resurrected one, Jesus himself? So that when David is communicating, you are the holy one, the mighty one, the almighty one, you are Yahweh, and I say to you, you are my master. He's saying, in this blessed life, nothing rules over me like you rule over me. Everything is going to come under your sovereign rule in my life. What a blessing that is. Enemies may come and go, but no enemy is greater than God. Sickness and disease may come upon us, but they are not more powerful than the sovereign God of the universe. Whatever hardship or suffering or calamity we face, it is not the master over us. The Lord himself is the master over us. And David settles into that truth, acknowledging the Lord God as Adonai. Secondly, a blessing just being proclaimed is God provides all the good experiences in life. He provides all of them. The ending of verse 2 is quite literally translated, my good is not beyond you, Lord. In other words, what he's saying is, the good in my life is not apart from you, which means that all good things in my life come from God. In the midst of some bad experiences, he's just acknowledging that all the good is from God and it has been offered to him to live in that so he acknowledges that God is providing all good things and all the the wellness in his life there is no limit to his goodness and all that goodness is given to David so knowing and acknowledging that is to know and acknowledge that he is God is the supreme good and he is our supreme treasure so David isn't fretfully seeking something beyond God. He's not seeking something temporarily good. He's seeking God himself. He, he's not filled with anxiety to have more stuff that is just going to be burned away, vaporized by God. He seeks God, not more stuff. He doesn't seek more temporary experiences. He seeks eternal experiences. And so he views that those good things are from the hand of his Lord. 
So, so let's stay focused and on track. Here's the appeal. Preserve me, O God. And out of that appeal comes this certainty that God is sovereign over my life. Nothing is greater and more potent, more powerful than God over my life. That's a blessing. And then I'm recognizing that all the good things in my life that I've experienced have come from the goodness of God. And I'm lifting that up. Number three, God delights us with saints godly people in whom we find pleasure so David finds joy in the sweet fellowship and the sweet relationships that he has with saints people who are faith in God a faith in God so let's just acknowledge for a moment this is a significant opportunity for us on Sundays a gathering of the saints and this this is the sweet spot of the week that saints get gathered together. Listen, there is no more people that I would rather be with than the saints of God at Meadowbrook. My greatest friendships come out of the sainthood of Jesus Christ. The people who encourage me the most are saints, brothers and sisters of Christ in, G, in, in the faith, in the faith family. We are the gathered saints of God, and we find our most commonality right here in the fellowship of being brothers and sisters of Jesus. So God has richly blessed us with that. And David recognized that rich blessedness, uh, uh, blessedness of having the saints of God in his assembly. That's a blessing of God. Number four, God is our inheritance and blessing. You see what he's doing now? He's recognizing the sovereignty of God over his life. God's going to get the last word. He's recognizing the goodness of God, and he's recognizing God as a gathered group of saints to be around us in all circumstances. And then number four, God is the inheritance. So David uses phrases like this, the Lord is my chosen portion. He is my cup. He is my lot. So he's talking in terms of like the inheritance of the land of Israel was doled out by God to the tribes of Israel. Now that's already transpired in the history of this text. That has already been set. So David is looking at that and he's seeing a, this filtered truth through that experience and he's saying, God, you are my inheritance. You are my chosen portion. You are my cup. Now, oftentimes in Western Christianity, it's we're looking for something from God. God, will you fill my cup? Will you give me inheritance? What David sees is the greater blessing is not stuff. David sees the greatest blessing is he inherits God. So catch this visually. He sees God drafting out the boundaries of David's life and he has done that he's done that for every one of us by the way Psalm 139 says God has written every day of our life before one of them came about so the boundaries already in place so David says my boundary God has established and I recognize his goodness I recognize his sovereignty and I recognize he even places saints in the midst of that but what I recognize the most in the blessing is that God moves in with me God is in that portion God God's presence is with me in the inheritance not just for today but the inheritance for tomorrow as well one of the beautiful passages of scripture is one of the epistle that talks about we are co-heirs with Christ which means that God is giving to his beloved only begotten son all the things of the universe 
and he makes us co-heirs with him. That's really cool. But the passage ends saying that we are inheriting God. That's even way cooler, isn't it? It You get the inheritance of God, the, the greatness and the personal relationship and the presence of God. So David is rec- recognizing that and elevating that. I like the way John Piper summarizes this verse in sort of modern language. He says, when the dice are rolled and the straws are drawn and the wheel is turned, whatever happens to us comes from the hand of God. God holds my lot. God decides it. God rules it. And God is my sovereign. And I'm glad to have it so. The goodness of God in the midst of our life. Number five, God gives counsel and instructs in wisdom. So David is just continuing to build on these truths. And as he's building, he's exalting God. He is just pouring out his praise to him and acknowledgement. He recognizes that God is his refuge, his sovereign Lord, his goodness, his inheritance. But now he's recognizing that he is his counselor in wisdom. That God gives counsel and he instructs in wisdom. So God blesses us with goodness, yes. God blesses us with abundance, yes. And as we meditate and walk in the truths of the abundance of God in his word, then he gives us counsel. And that counsel even comes to us in the nighttime. So David was certainly grateful for that. He's grateful that God's truths are given to him, and he is grateful that he can meditate on that and be counseled by that in his own heart. There's a rhythm that is established between David and God. It's God's word is being delivered to David. David is receiving that word and letting it impregnate him with life in his heart. And in the stillness and the quietness of the evening, he lets that truth come out from him. And he just recognizes that truth and is instructed from it from within his heart. Are you getting that blessing these days? If you're not careful, the noise of the world will impede you from having that blessing. If you're not careful, everybody else's stuff on social media will captivate your heart. If you're not careful, the entertainment of the world will capture your mind. If you're not careful, you'll go to bed with the 24-hour news cycle playing. If you're not careful, you'll read things that are not of God, and you won't have the counsel of God, and it's one of the richest blessings that David had. I pray that we would move towards the counsel of God, the wisdom of God, and let our heart, even in the night, instruct us as God's Word fills our heart. Now, when David comes to those five things, and I could probably have thrown in a few more from the passage, but when David comes to those things that is acknowledging the blessings of God, then he comes to conclusion, and the conclusion is, I will not be shaken. Preserve me, O God, and as I make the appeal, I'm just going to take a moment and acknowledge the blessings of God most pronounced is the presence of God and as I have the presence of God I recognize I will not be shaken that doesn't belittle in any way whatever the tragedy is or the trial or the trouble or the sickness or the difficulty but it elevates 
God as greater than that. It elevates the blessings of God above the tragedy of the world that you and I often experience. I will not be shaken. So David is acknowledging the authority and the goodness and the joy and the inheritance, but he's most definitely overwhelmed with the presence of God, that he dwells in the inheritance of God. So he's recognizing the authority and the ruler as ruler and wisdom of God. He's recognizing the goodness of God and the supreme treasure that he is, and he's recognizing the inheritance that he gives to him. Now, when we trust and meditate as David did, we too can come to that same conclusion. That my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. So one day, my friend is going to die of his terminal condition. And so will I. And so will you. However, neither his sickness nor ours or his trials and troubles nor ours change the realities of God God is not changed when we experience tragedy he remains sovereign over us his goodness is still towards us his inheritance is still granted to us his wisdom is imparted to us the saints of God surround us and his joy marks us and so we can come to the conclusion when we make the appeal preserve me O God I am not shaken we can come to that you can have that. Now, if you're going to focus on the issue, the circumstance, the hardship, the trouble, the diagnosis, the news, if you're going to focus on that, you will spiral down in anxiety. But if you put your eyes and your heart and your mind and your will to the author and the finisher of your faith and you acknowledge his goodness in your life, the blessings in your life that he's given to you, then you can come to the conclusion, I will not be shaken. I won't be shaken. So one day we're going to take our final breath. And when we do, may the fullness of that understanding be rich in us as we have the presence of God who says, I will not forsake you. As some might say, well, Randy, disease and death are sure to win in the end. But my friends, can I remind you that disease and death have a ruler? Some might say there is authority that is greater, but I can remind you there is no authority that is greater than our God. Disease and death have to bow down to the resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ. And in that, David just comes to certainty. So just as the Lord Jesus was killed and his body was placed in the grave, he didn't remain in that grave and neither will you nor I. This is where Peter and later Paul pick up on this passage. It was on the day of Pentecost that preacher uh, Peter declared the 16th Psalm. He was declaring the resurrection of God. Now, David had an advanced view of that. David had faith that God was going to provide the Messiah, and the Messiah would be killed, and he would be placed in the ground, but that his body would not see corruption, that he would not be abandoned in that tomb. And certainly, Jesus Christ was not abandoned in that tomb, and his body was not corrupted by death. Can I remind you in that 
those of us who have faith in Christ Jesus, we share not only his death on the cross, we share his resurrection as well. In fact, the, the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is a great proclamation that we will be raised incorruptible. So Christ Jesus saw no corruption in the grave, and you and I will be raised incorruptible as well. And David has a, a vision of that, an understanding of that, when he's writing this Psalm. So he came to this conclusion that his refuge, his goodness, his inheritance, his sovereign, his wise counsel, and even his life is secure in God, so he will not be shaken. Then look at one more little passage. It says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Have you set the Lord to your right hand? Today is the day of salvation. And with Christ Jesus at your right hand, you don't have to be shaken as you stand before a holy and just God who requires that justice be paid for every sin that's been sinned against him. How will you stand before him? Except that Jesus Christ is at your right side when you stand before the holy God. Throughout life's trials and troubles, you can not be shaken because the Spirit of God is by your side. In death, I shall not be shaken, for I will not be abandoned. He has been brought to newness of life, Christ has, and so he shares newness of life with us. In eternity, we will not be shaken, for we will be in the presence of God forever. So I pray in faith you'll come to that certainty and not be shaken.